Thank you for listening to Wolfcast and Pod, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Angel the Television series. We will be discussing each episode in detail, so we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. Maybe the rest of you need a little downtime, but I'm going to track down Jamil and make him talk. When you do find him, you may want to be a little more Guy Pearce in L.A. Confidential, and a little less Michael Madsen in Reservoir Dogs. I haven't bothered to see a movie since Denzel was robbed at the Oscar from Malcolm X. Later. was quite a performance. I know. Talk about wound up too tight. No, I, I mean Denzel. Oh. Well, he's always great. What about you? Who doesn't love Denzel? from the higher powers welcome to wolfcast and pod the episode by episode angel recap that will take you longer to listen to than it would to watch the show my name is marcia aka pod here's wolfcast aka reuben how you doing today what's a recap i said recap no you said crap again to crap for a second time a recap <laughs> i'm not commenting on the quality of the show <laughs> Or am I? I'm fine. Did that sound believable? Nah. <laughs> cool it's beans. fine though. <laughs> Did that sound believable? <laughs> ah, just kidding. Today we're discussing first impressions, uh, third episode of season two. And it's my turn to give the plot description. I'm 90% sure I'd find out when I edit these, <laughs> if that was the case. Um, basically, this episode, uh, the A plot line is Cordelia has a vision about Gunn being in trouble, and he's been chasing this uh, demon Divac who's moved into his neighborhood and is trying to take over, so the gang is trying to stop Divac and Cordelia is trying to find out what the danger is with Gunn. Uh, and then the B storyline is that we find out um, Darla has been sneaking into the hotel and doing something where she can, I assume either drugs or magic or both are involved, where she like does stuff to influence Angel's dreams and like actually is like physically with him. Uh, but he doesn't wake up or notice, and it's causing him to sleep all day. <laughs> Much to it, uh, Gunn and David Nabbitt's chagrin. <laughs> what did you think of this episode? Um, if we're going to grade it, like, school grades, mm. maybe a C. I really like some things about it. I really dislike some things about it. I guess we'll get into that. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same p- 
page. It's fine. It's an enormous step down from the previous episode, which is too bad. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, uh, I feel like, I think you liked Judgment, but I, I also felt that Judgment is okay, not great. It's kind of like there's still these lingering tendrils of season one's badness that they haven't quite flushed out yet. And then somewhere around like episode five or six or something like that hits its stride and there are almost no more average episodes to stinkers for the rest of the way. I feel like the show always does the worst when it's dealing with person of color issues. (laughs) <laughs> and anything surrounded surrounding race, at least yeah. currently. Maybe I think they get better with that, but I don't remember. Um, for sure, I there's a lot of stuff here that it's kind of like, is it making fun of Cordelia for like being totally, uh, like unaware and kind of a jerk or whatever, or is it like? Exotifying and you know making like using black situations like for humor and stuff like that and it's like a pretty tight rope to walk and like land correctly and considering I don't believe there were any black writers or producers working on the show right I, I don't really want to give them the benefit of the doubt <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Episode begins as I said with a dream. We don't know it's a dream yet, but it starts off with Lauren, you know, seeming to give some advice to Angel. He's come to a bend in his life. Um he needs to figure out what he's going to do next. And uh then Angel walks off stage and there's Darla standing there by the bar waiting for him and uh Lauren sings the two of them a song and uh it's kind of sweet and then it cuts to Angel sleeping and then it cuts to like creepy Darla music <laughs> and the music fades from Lauren's love song to creepy Darla music it's pretty I don't really know if I know what the point of the scene is Are you doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I like the other dream sequences in this episode. Better, yeah. I like when it goes a little surreal. I always like things that are surreal. And yeah, well, uh, in that case, they're obviously like trying to like play this one as like, oh, it's just the normal beginning of an episode. It's not a dream up until the point where you see. Darla standing there, and then you're like, oh yeah? Okay. Right. So, they're keeping their cards close to the vest, so <laughs> they can't go straight up surreal to start. I was super sad when I realized they weren't actually with Lauren. <laughs> um, uh, and then, the next scene is just uh, Cordelia is cleaning the hotel that they've just moved into and complaining about the cleaning you notice that Wesley isn't helping clean but he is sort of smugly forcing her to clean by saying that they could move back 
the business back to her apartment when she complains about it. Cordelia in this episode is just really terribly written. It's like she yeah. was written by someone that doesn't like Cordelia's character in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when Gunn shows up uh, to introduce the A plot line, saying that there's this demon Devek that, you know, Angel has promised him that he's going to help him on, and we get, like, one of our first sort of signs of weirdness that Angel's not, you know as there as he normally is because he hasn't told Wesley or Cordelia that Gunn has a meeting with them. And uh, I feel like, I mean, Gunn has worked with Wesley and Cordelia before, so I'm a little surprised that he is so, like, obtuse to their help, I guess. Yeah. He calls them C-3PO and stick figure Barbie. Super dumb. Yeah. I do like Cordelia's joke about him not getting this whole creature of the night thing. It's like, yeah, why would Angel be up at dawn? Like, that's the most boring time of the day for him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I also like the joke when uh, Gunn says, I'm sorry, but for this, we're going to need some serious muscle. And then David Nabbit walks into the door and he's like, (laughs) Creatures of the night, beware, and then swings his sword around. <laughs> I thought his cameo was super cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how he's at first disappointed when it, he's like, Angel, what do you need? And he's like, financial advice. And he's like, oh. And then, But then as soon as he like asks him what it is, like he immediately jumps into like nerdy money manager account mode and just like just starts rolling out like all the possible options for how to pay for the hotel and then Cordelia gets big stars in her eyes yeah just like I do when people talk biz- big business <laughs> she gets she says is anyone else warm hot in here <laughs> I don't know I was kind of into it I could understand I, I mean I it's kn- great when people are a- passionate about something you know yeah that's why I like it I think it's really I mean they're playing it as the like dumb Cordelia loves money joke but like which is dumb yeah, which I don't like, but I do like David Nabbit just being like, yeah. oh yeah, here's like seven different options of what you can do. You can tell he's as interested in that as he is in like slaying demons. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is uh, the one of the most, if not the most minor quibble that I'll ever make in this show or definitely doomed, but when they're, everyone's going out to get in the car, Wesley calls shotgun, which, uh, as we all know, in the modern vernacular means riding in the front passenger seat. And yet in a later episode, um, when they're all riding in the car together, uh, Wesley's going to complain about someone riding shotgun and they say, I called shotgun, and he said, oh, I thought we were just inventorying weaponry. And I'm like, how does he know what shotgun means in season two, but forget it by season five? That is super minor. Maybe it's uh, one of the side effects of the spell that Angel cast to get everyone to forget about Connor. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Ooh, too soon, too soon. Um, so they're going to check out a snitch 
to yeah. do they already know about DVAC at this point or are they just yeah. going to talk to someone? Yeah, um Gun drops his name. He says like I'm gonna go against uh demon like DVAC, I'm gonna need more than C three PO and stick figure right at me. No offense. <laughs> Very little taken. Terrible. Um Yeah, and so he goes to put the screws to a snitch and uh Cordelia and Wesley and Angel don't really approve of his methods because he gets pretty violent pretty quickly. And then a bunch of vampires show up to break up the meeting, even though the snitch doesn't tell him anything. And uh, we get a pretty good fight, in my opinion. One of the highlights, I think, of the episode that it's... um, I think a lot of people, what they look for in a fight is... Do I like it? Which obviously is part of it, but I feel like it's cool when a fight actually does something aesthetically, and this one really feels how it's supposed to feel, which is like, like it kind of drags on for a little bit. Like it's you're like, what's kind of going on here? Like it starts off with really fast cuts, and then they get slower and slower, and then it finally closes on like a very slow motion shot of like Angel kicking someone before it fades to them just sitting there. And of course, we don't really get the closure of them killing the last two vampires. And I think all of that works in Do tandem. they actually show anyone being dusted in this fight? Yeah, Wesley and Cardelia dust one vampire. And then the other two, we just see Gun and Angel beating up on them for a while. And then it just fades. I know there are some episodes where it doesn't show any dusting. It just shows like dust being thrown in someone's face after they oh, make yeah. a significant jab. Okay, yeah, that might be what happens. Like, I think Cordelia, like, Wesley's on the ground, and Cordelia uh, stakes the vampire from behind, and then the dust just flies on uh, Wesley's face on the ground. We should rank all the parking lot fight scenes from Angel. (laughs) Yeah. They probably didn't have enough money for this episode after uh, episode two was probably yeah. extremely expensive. So they were like, just cut back on the dustings. Those are $5,000 <laughs> a pop. <laughs> Throw some dust in some people's faces. Just roll the ladder down from a high area and mm-hmm. shine some bright light and make helicopter noises. Um, I also, the other thing I like about the scene is they're all sitting there after the fight and Wesley goes, I think I threw my back out again. And we get some uh, real consequences of fighting. You know, most of the time when people fight in movies and television shows, they fight and then a scene later they're fighting someone else again. They're just back to 100%. Right. So I thought that was kind of nice. My notes on the fight scene were, what great lighting and great color scheme. Very blue this episode. Last episode was red, if I remember correctly. Um, and I agree with uh, what Gunn says, that Denzel was robbed of the Oscar for Malcolm X. It's one of my favorite performances of all time. And uh, the winner for that year was Al Pacino in Send of a Woman. And well, I sort of agree with the premise that Al Pacino is a good enough actor that he deserved uh, an award for it. It's just, I don't know how you give it to him in that terrible, terrible film with a terrible performance. 
over Denzel's finest performance of his career. It's so dumb. I wonder if um, Denzel finally won in, I think, 2001 for training day. And I wonder if he, like, beat out another, like, great performance. And that this trend will just continue with these makeup awards, <laughs> like, ruining, <laughs> like, a good performance. Because the one that Al Pacino should have won for is Dog Day Afternoon. And then they made it up with Sin of a Woman as, like, a career performance thing. They should have a Miss Congeniality equivalent for Oscars. Like you're not the main winner, but you're the one that everyone liked the best, except for yeah. that one over there. Um, I mean, they have a Lifetime Achievement Award, if you. They really appreciate your work over a long period of time. But it's not exactly the same thing. Um, uh, what... Doesn't... Mm-hmm. Doesn't Cordy have her very first solo vision after this? Yeah, she's at home, and I was my transition to the next scene was going to say, "What is it with ghosts and cold rooms?" Because that's what Cordelia <laughs> says, but no one, no one answers. Why ghosts and cold rooms always associated? Sixth Sense, this, a thousand things, ghosts and cold rooms. Yeah, I think this is Cordy's only uh, sitting vision as well. Like, she's almost always standing when she has a vision, and, <laughs> right. which is uh, very different from if I had vision, since I spent like 80% of my life sitting. I would always be sitting when I had visions. Usually when she has visions, she sounds like a woman going into labor or like having a <laughs> contraction. So I like that this vision was not that. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of minor in terms of pain and shock as far as her visions go. And then uh, the cell phone thing comes back up again, right? Like that cell phones are useless and you still can't get in touch with anyone? Well, I mean, I don't think it's a commentary on the cell phone. Angel's just fast asleep and so he doesn't pick it up. Yeah. Um... I think it's funny that the dream is of uh, Angel and Darla sunbathing, sort of. <laughs> it's like at night, but they're both they're wearing bathing. swimsuits and <laughs> with sunglasses lying outside. And it, yeah, it and is... then she tries to call Wes. And Wes doesn't pick up either, and she's leaving him a message. And she sounds she's the acting is just not good. Just uh, a lot of the, I mean, I think actors in general, because there's no sort of like real thing to grab onto when they're alone in a room by themselves, just talking to themselves. Like, it's not a situation most of us experience. Most of us don't talk to ourselves for dramatic yeah. effect. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there's like no honest, like human thing that you can capture onto. So like. I feel like it's one of those things that, you know, you really have to be kind of a special actor to make it sound good at all. But something that I noted is that James Marsters is actually really, really good at it on Buffy the yeah, Vampire Slayer. Like every time that like everyone leaves the room except for Spike and then he delivers a line or two after everyone's gone, I almost always buy it as realistic. <laughs> um, I also feel like that's kind of a 
like this episode is just kind of written a little badly or something is off with how it's done. Mm. Like, I feel like the things that she's saying out loud mostly could be done not out loud, but I guess that's a lot of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's or definitely like every, it's kind of like they have like four pieces of information that they wanted to convey and then they break up like those pieces of information with her being like, oh God, what am I going to do? Guns in trouble or whatever. And it's like, you know, to make it sound like a human, but it doesn't. It sounds like four pieces of information with these like really badly punctuated (laughs) things. So we get our first time with her going out by herself. Mm -hmm. And she smacks that guy on the head who uh, was practice fighting with gun. Um, she thought he was a demon, but she doesn't go at him with the blade side of the axe, which I guess is good in retrospect, but it seems <laughs> like if you are 100% convinced that it was a demon, why not just like <laughs> murder or fight? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> different episode, different episode. I probably would have liked it better. <laughs> the Cordelia deals with her murder episode. <laughs> um... um. And then we get the more surreal dream scene. Mm-hmm. Um, just one more note about the scene, though, is that yeah. Gunn's crew laughs at him because Cordelia tries to save his life. Because this episode is super dumb that way. And it's about yeah. to get even more dumb. Or even worse, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, she, she's... I, is it Cordelia says to Gunn or Darla says to Angel, you're too busy protecting everyone else? I think I think Darla says it Darla. to Angel, but of course it's applicable to both of them by the end of the episode, which is kind of an interesting overlap. Yeah, uh, so yeah. we cut to Darla talking to Angel like, oh, just take some time for yourself. And he starts hearing like a knocking sound. Mm-hmm. And then he, he looks over, yeah, and there's Wesley hammering nails into a coffin. A coffin! really super well-lit shot. Yes, like, and it's awesome. I'm pretty sure that that shot, like the way that it's lit, like Wesley's face and stuff like that, is like the reason why I didn't give this episode a bad grade. Because <laughs> it's so good. It makes me wonder if, like, they were already looking so far ahead that, like, they chose Wesley for this moment that they were already looking to, like, season three and being like, Wesley's going to betray Angel at some point. Maybe. And then Angel, confusing dream world and real world, tackles real world Wesley and starts choking him. Um, and another very small complaint is that Angel is clearly wearing boxers in like the wide shot of the two of them. You can see his, the edge of his white boxers. Mm-hmm. And then, um, once he releases Wesley from choking, Wesley says that he's naked and that he should put some clothes on, but he's not naked. He's wearing boxers. Maybe they fell off in the heat of the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I read somewhere that uh, they didn't 
go widescreen for season two until later on that like are you now or have you ever been was the only episode from the first like half of the season that was actually supposed to be widescreen so i'm assuming that that's the actual issue is that we're looking at a widescreen shot that was supposed to be full screen because the same thing happens again later at the end of the episode when darla's rubbing up on angel and you can like very clearly see the pasties covering you know, the scandalous part of the boob, the part that the, somehow the group decided was the part no one can see. The areola. <laughs> it's like the whole rest of the boob, it, boob is not at all sexual, but this little like slightly darker spot. <laughs> Unless you're breastfeeding and then the whole thing is bad, put it away. <laughs> um... And now we get into gender roles. Yeah, this joke is really terrible, although I think there's a joke later that kind of works. Where? What's this? Like, oh, I don't want to take the hand of a nude man. That's gay. That's something a gay man would do. (laughs) Is be helped up by a nude man. (laughs) It's like, no, not really. (laughs) Um... Gunn and Cordy are continuing to bicker, and uh, when they walk outside, uh, he's telling her to get back in her car and go home, she, and they walk outside, and he's like, so where's your car? Um, and then as soon as he says that, the comedy music starts, which I always enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to uh, Wesley and Angel standing outside the hotel, and Wesley goes, so where's your car? And I'm like... <laughs> This is for sure a reference to Dude, Where's Your Car, isn't it? <laughs> it's gotta be. That was around that this time. Everyone on the Scooby gang, or everyone on this team, needs to have a talk about protection and consent. Because this <laughs> reminds me of the time where Angel was protecting that woman that didn't want to be protected. It Just like the last episode or the one before that. Judgment. Yeah. And now Cordy's protecting Gunn, even though he does not want to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, more bickering between uh, Cordy and Gunn as they go to find the stolen car, because Gunn knows the type of people who would steal a car in this neighborhood. Um... And uh, <laughs> the only part that I really like about the scene is when um, Gun challenges Cordelia and how she's going to help him. And uh, she flashes her mace and <laughs> he goes, you think I'm going to get attacked by a couple of purse snatching demons? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really funny line. <laughs> My favorite part of the scene was he was like, I see some neighborhood cars in here. Yeah, that's that um, sweet. Yeah, there's a little more um, gender play between that scene and this scene, where um, uh, Angel does not want to wear the girly helmet because it's pink, and right. uh, Wesley's like, "It's the law in California. Do you want us to get pulled over?" And for some <laughs> reason, like his English accent comes out like ten times stronger. 
on these lines than it normally does. I mean, his <laughs> his fake e English accent because uh, Alexis Denisov is not actually English. Because um, he's being unctuous. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this joke actually works because the joke is on Angel. Like, it's like he's like, oh, I don't want to wear the girly helmet. Haha, ha, Angel's so stupid. He cares about this dumb thing. Whereas the other joke was like, oh, men, nakedness, that's weird. Haha, ha, aren't you uncomfortable? So I like this joke a lot better. I guess it's still kind of corny, but at least it feels like it's on the appropriate target, which is Angel's dumb gay panic. At least they don't lean on it too hard. At least it's over pretty quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, and so then they go to the first place that he thinks that it might be, and uh, the guy helps him out, gives him, says like, oh, that's the type of car that this other guy normally takes, and then Gun um, points out, you know, like, hey, steal as many cars from the valley as you want, but don't steal neighborhood cars. And um, I think this is one of those cases where both of them have a solid point in the sense that this guy has just helped Gun out and he wants to immediate and Gun immediately, like, still wants to, like, badger him about something. And then also, like, the point is very fair that, like, there's a big difference between s stealing, like, $5,000 cars from, like, your neighbor and, like, a hundred thousand dollar car from someone who can probably just buy a new one <laughs> has the insurance to cover it won't completely ruin their lives yeah stealing from poor people is horrible um if it sounds like i'm encouraging people to steal from the rich you are correct i am encouraging that <laughs> that wasn't like me misspeaking Please do. If you listen to this podcast, steal from the rich. <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> uh, uh, my recommendation is do not steal, please. All right, Marsha coming out anti-theft totally. Ruben <laughs> coming out strongly pro-rich theft. <laughs> <laughs> just, just mind your own business with the stealing if you possibly can. Um, and now, of course, we got the um the most uncomfortable weirdest part of the episode where it's really towing a line and I don't really know what side to come down to on Cordelia Are you talking says about in the party yeah okay so, I have a moment from right before they go in the party mm -hmm. which is he sees one of the kids that is at the party and mm -hmm. is like get out of here you need to be on patrol and the kid's like oh I'm just a little kid and he's like oh no get out of here so he's really like showing that he's sort of being a dictator with this. But then he's like, some people need discipline to survive. And I feel like that's true too. Some people, especially in a situation with demons or where you're at a war like that. I feel like that would be true. Yep. Um... So, 
Uh, also, I guess before we talk about the party scene, I'll just mention that there's like a vague sort of like it's not born to be bad, but kind of sounds like um or bad to the bone. When Angel and Wes, there's like a cut in shot of them riding the motorcycle <laughs> with really goofy music underneath it. Um, and then Cordelia says, I know how to blend at a party and then walks in and, you know, the party is 100% black people. And she's like, oh, I don't know how to blend at this party. And then proves their point almost immediately with some weird uh, sex worker talk. Also, there's a shaky so cam used for the black for the black party, and I'm like, this kind of makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, it ooh, it's heart. so intense in like real life, and and like this is the nitty gritty like shaky cam, like this is real life, and I'm like, that's kind of weird, like weird for you to say that. It's kind of like <laughs> exotifying like the poor and like the underclass. And it's so weird because she was party queen like surely she knows how to talk to people like i i just don't buy her character would be that uncomfortable just talking to people that she doesn't know well they're black people she doesn't know i think that's uh, i mean that's i know that's the point they're trying to make i just don't buy it for her character i guess so maybe it would make more sense with wesley but it would probably just be a better idea to cut it out altogether. That's terrible. Because, like, I mean, I think the point of the joke is, like, white people are really weird <laughs> when they I go mean, into black spaces. But It's, it's so awkward. It feels like it's just making fun of Cordelia's character to me. Yeah. She doesn't say anything negative about being a working girl, though. So maybe you can far left field call it sex positive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, however, I really like the part when, like, after this like long awkward pause, she says, "Could you point me towards the hors d'oeuvres?" <laughs> That's really funny to me. <laughs> Um, and then Gunn is like, we're looking for Desmond, and Veronica's like, he's over there. And uh, then Cordelia is uh, vaguely racist, talking about how everyone at the party is a criminal. No. <laughs> and uh, Gunn appropriately calls her out on the fact that, you know, most people who are billionaires do not make their money through entirely scrupulous means, although apparently David Nabbitt is the one scrupled billionaire. Woo, David! <laughs> um, yeah, one could argue if you have that much money just by virtue of having that much money, you're being unscrupulous because it's unnecessary for any one person to have that much money. But... Uh, he is spreading a lot of it around. But it's too bad. Like, I don't want David Nabbitt to be thrown under the bus, but Gunn's point is correct in general. That, you know, people are like, uh, talk a lot about somewhat petty crime as being like a virulent part of this nation. 
But right. of course, it's nowhere near as serious as like the sort of crime that is, in essence, legalized, like what happened on Wall Street that caused the housing crash. Like, I that's mean, obviously a much more serious infraction than someone snatching someone's purse. But yeah, or like Wells Fargo or Volkswagen or any anything where they just ignore ethics in favor of the bottom line. I mean, even when David Nabbit was talking about like, oh, you could do this and get around this loophole, or you could do this and make it so much cheaper for yourself. Like, I didn't know all of the things that he was talking about, but one of them he says is that he could, you know, petition the Los Angeles Historical Board to make it a place of historical importance and then get a loan via that and, and, you know, offer to you know, put back the original decor and remodel it and whatnot. Um, And I mean, in that case, they're providing a service. I mean, it's a mutually beneficial relationship for the city and for them. That's why they have those types of things. It's because they want people to take advantage of places of historical note. Um, I like Desmond's acting <laughs> his weird shifty beer keg acting <laughs> and he's like hey gun how's it going <laughs> he's like don't play around with me Desmond I know you stole that car and he's like I don't know what you're talking about man <laughs> um Vampires attack, Veronica gets injured in the scuffle, and uh, probably the highlight in terms of liking Cordelia as a person in this episode, we find out that she's really well-trained when it comes to, like, nurse-doctor type stuff. Yeah, like, what? (laughs) Apparently she's been brushing up on all that stuff. She becomes a serious crime fighter. Maybe it was from growing up in Sunnydale. You have to know, like, some field medicine to be able to survive there. But yeah, she does all the right things. She applies pressure to the wound. That we all know. But a lot of people wouldn't think to or don't know that uh, she moves her up. She makes her sit up so that the blood is not flowing down towards the wound. But that it would have to pump up out of the wound to... Uh, and she's like, so she gets less bottles. She's basically like an ER nurse when they wheel her into the ER. She's like, I did this and this, and then I did this. Yeah. Um, and I really like the, the doctor's line, actually. I like when they can find people who just have like one or two lines and they still like pretty much nail it. And she's like, uh, Gun's like, is she going to be okay? And the doctor's like, your friend probably saved her life. But we need you to get out of here. We have a lot of work to do. Something like that. I really like that one. Then we get an angel cut. And I wrote down, this is the closest one to working for me in the entire series. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. It still doesn't work. It's still an annoying (laughs) transition between scenes. Choo, 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 choo. My next note is, I would ask for another shirt if I were gone. (laughs) <laughs> or was it Cordy? There was someone that had just like blood all over their shirt. 
Cordy's shirt is pretty gross by the end of the episode, I know that for sure. Because I, like, um, there's a part earlier when she complains about the dry cleaning bill for a shirt that she's wearing. <laughs> and then I noticed at the end of the episode, she's not talking about the dry cleaning, even though she's wearing, like, this white sweater that's, like, covered in, like, ash and, you know, mud and stuff. Yeah. Blood makes uh, clothes really uncomfortable. And then this is sort of like, I guess, the part, the meat of the episode is the scene when they're in the waiting room and Gunn is, you know, sort of basically revealing where his mind is at as he's, you know, emotionally uh, unloading on Cordelia. And I think the acting's pretty good here, although I think one punch into the wall probably would have been enough for the scene. I don't think God needs to punch the wall twice <laughs> out of anger. And maybe zero punches into the wall. Wall punching. Not something that happens that often in real life. Uh, and drywall is pretty thin, so if you punch it, you could really just like make some damage in it. Yeah, that's in an episode of Buffy where what, really? Xander... Xander is upset, and then he just punches straight through the wall <laughs> and cuts his hand up pretty badly on the inside of the wall. <laughs> uh, do, do they ever revisit Gun and his trauma? Yeah, I bullet. So there are three things that I think are. One thing that I know for sure is the last appearance, and two things that I think are the last appearance in this episode. Uh, I know this is the last time we see David Nabbitt. I believe this is the last time Ooh. we see Wesley's motorcycle. And I believe Ooh. this is the last time that uh, Gunn mentions Alana, his uh, younger sister. Boo! All great losses. <laughs> great as in, like, sad? Like, you're sad to see them go, or... Yes, and like, get him no. out of here. <laughs> Great, as in monumental loss. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the Alana thing is the big one, where, like, this so, is supposed to be kind of a defining part of his character, and it's pretty much dropped after this. And I feel like it's making the opposite impression, because right now they're trying to say, of course it affected him, he's not the strong guy, and then all of a sudden he just forgets about it, and now he's the strong guy again after this episode. Yeah. I guess I mean, like, outwardly, uh, placid? <laughs> Dudish acting? <laughs> yeah. Stoic. Stoic. There you go. <laughs> we got there eventually. <laughs> Veronica's also gone after this point. Poor Veronica. She could have been a love interest if her acting had been better. <laughs> um, I like that they don't draw attention to it, but that they bring back the, the, uh, earlier when Angel said he didn't want to put on the helmet, that he was, you know, coming up with fake complaints first, and one of them was helmet hair, and he does have helmet hair in this scene. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> um... But also, this is, I don't understand the twist here or why it's necessary, just like I'm not going to understand the twist or why it's necessary in the later scene, where they pull up 
and they see that woman and they're like i'm guessing that angel ha you know has like ability to like sometimes sniff out other vampires and stuff like that and that's why he pulls her aside to Doesn't talk he to always? her yeah it's i mean i think that's the case yeah and he can tell when someone's a demon too right i don't know about that but anyways um and he pulls her aside and, you know, she seems like she's just an injured person escaping the party. And then he's like, are you sure you're okay? And she's like, yeah, thank you. And then he headbutts her. <laughs> she has vamp face on. After he comes vampire back from head headbutt. After he comes back from headbutting her. I don't really totally understand the point of the twist or, like, why they lead us up to it so much. Like, there's, like, five or six lines where the two of Wesley and Angel are like talking to this woman. I assumed she gave them the location for the rest of them. Oh, I understand the point of them grabbing a vampire and getting information out of her because that's how they meet the gang at Divac's chop shop. Um, but I don't understand the of the twist or whatever like why couldn't they have just like arrived at the party seen like some vamps sneaking around back and then like cornered it or something <laughs> like that like I don't know it it's written in such a way that it it's playing up the twist like it's playing us it's not written in such a way that it seems like this is how Angel would act if he knew this person was a vampire I guess is what I'm saying I liked the other twi twist in this episode. You do? I also don't understand the point of that one. That the snitch is Divek. <laughs> I dig it. I like when he throws a gun's line back in his face. It's yeah, I mean, I feel like... Bra. You're not looking too fit. For me, it's kind of... Uh... I mean, I don't think it's fair to have done this to gun, but I, I feel like it's... Uh be careful and be nice to people that aren't in good situations that you think are below you, you know, that you think aren't up to your level because who knows, they might be demons. I mean, it's <laughs> terribly executed, but I like yeah. the sentiment. Be nice to your snitches, people. Um, yeah. Um, there's just one part before this that I just wanted to mention. It's not anything really specific to this episode because it's a thing that is continued in tradition both in real life and in television since then when um, Gunn calls Cordelia high maintenance and uh, I just want to say a tweet that I um, really like. I don't remember the exact wording but it's something along the lines of uh, women don't aspire to be low maintenance. You're a human person not a car. Something like that. Um, just, Does she you, really say that? No, that's a tweet. Oh, oh, oh. That I like. Um, from Mouse Caddy, a critiquer of dick pics. Um, awesome. Yeah, and it's just something that, <laughs> as you'll know from personal experience, something that I've been arguing is a sexist term for like five years. And uh, Yeah, definitely. <laughs> It's they just... never say a guy is high maintenance. No. And if they do, they mean he's 
a metrosexual. <laughs> Another word that's gladly gone out of the vocabulary. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, sooner we just dismiss like gender performance for what it is as just like performance and stop associating it with gender. It'll just be a good day for everyone. <laughs> People can just wear and dress what they want and we don't I know it's radical. <laughs> assume their sexuality or gender or anything based off of that. Maybe people shouldn't be in each other's business so much about that stuff. Weird, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not just that um, it's only said about women, although that's, of course, a part of it. It's that it's not like an insult. <laughs> like, you, like, sometimes when someone says that someone is high maintenance they are actually doing a bad thing like they're being manipulative or some other thing that you could actually more target it but a lot of times when people say high maintenance uh they're just talking about a woman expressing her needs and emotions as opposed yeah. to just like putting up with whatever like she wants to know more than three days in advance if we're going on a date. High maintenance, right? Yeah. I feel like it's the line between, like, laid back, if we're talking sexist terms, mm. and then there's high maintenance, and then there's crazy. <laughs> like, it's it's stuff that wouldn't cause people to be, like, yeah. sexist about, oh, she's crazy. The difference between high maintenance and crazy is a high maintenance person is someone you are still currently dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember in Friends when they talk about this? Yeah. Chandra says, uh, other people may think you're high maintenance, but I don't because I like maintaining you, which is a pretty clunky way to express the right sentiment, but it is kind <laughs> of the right sentiment, which yeah. is that people... You don't, if you don't like how someone is, it's not necessarily a flaw in their character. It might just be a flaw in the two of you being friends or dating. Like, just move on. Yeah. Like someone People else. with different expectations and different communication styles. <laughs> Maybe shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, anyways, we're getting off topic. Um... Yeah, I was say one last thing, which is that um, I don't know what you would describe this negative quality, and I think some people have described people as high maintenance when they do something like this. I don't know what the actual negative term is for it, but um, there's certainly something better and with less sexist baggage for it. But the person who says, I don't care what we're doing or where we're going or whatever, and then you make a suggestion, and then they either say no or they're like, I guess that's fine. <laughs> but what they isn't really want called, is for you to guess what they actually want. Isn't that just called passive aggressive? Yeah, I guess so. But yeah. it's not like, I don't know if it's aggressive. They're, they want you to guess what they want. Like, they feel like it's not as good if they have to tell you. Right. You, sh you should know me better. And it's like, that's not helpful. That's not... <laughs> helpful in a yeah, relationship like, uh, 
<laughs> I mean, it almost seems like it veers on towards codependence. Like you want them to just be in your head and fulfill your needs. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not mm-hmm. that up to date on my psychology. Um, then we have another fight and this one uh, has um, a similar style to the other one at first, but instead you get a conclusion of the vampires and demons getting killed and also things get faster as it goes as opposed to slower. So good aesthetic choices in fighting. Um, and the baddest, bad choices in gay helmet jokes when like the one vampire like is like either making eyes at or judging Angel for his pink helmet and then he like hits him in the head with it. I like that they have a callback to the mace and the pink helmet though. Even yes, if the pink the, helmet is terrible. It's like manly now no, that the, has blood all over it. I wrote down mace exclamation point because I really like <laughs> that part that the mace saves Gun's life. <laughs> and I think I... Oh, I noted that it did not dust. They did not show any dustings in this yeah. fight scene. They just Learned threw dirt dustings. in the actors' faces, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure they loved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to do another take on that one. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have enough money for the cool CGI dusting where like you stake them and they fall to dust in front of you. So we're just gonna throw dust in your face thirty times. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be a tight shot, so. Well, bam! (laughs) Also, okay, so what if, okay, someone hits D-Back in the head with an axe, right? Angel, yeah. What if his brain was somewhere else? Look, he's a demon. We're not sure where his brain is. Like, I guess he got lucky on this one. Another thing that uh, this sort of a point about in Buffy when Xander is telling the potentials, like, how to kill things... Uh, um, and he says, aim for the eyes or the, the, like, heart, the chest area. He's like, because, uh, eyes, uh, he's like, almost all demons have eyes. And you can take out their vision. And almost everything has core organs in the chest area. So you can kill them that way. And he's like, don't go for the tentacles waving all over the place. <laughs> Wesley finds uh, Angel's keys, but they're covered in demon blood, demon pus, or possibly both. And it sounds like everyone in the team needs to learn how to hotwire a car. Yeah. <laughs> Cardi says, uh, Gunn comes close to thanking Cordelia for the help, um, but he doesn't exactly. Um, and he says, uh, well, you saved my life. And she's like, Divek wasn't the danger. You are. You're and self-destruct mission which uh makes this sense this makes me so un- so uncomfortable yeah how so there are a lot of people that are on self-destruct missions with their own lives and it is mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do to try to save them out of that it's not helpful for either of you so i know this is the show is trying to make a point but if gun was truly in real life and and trying to get himself killed somehow, like, you can't save someone from that. You can't make that your purpose. Yeah, I mean, I agree that you can't make that your purpose, but I don't think saying, like, I see that you're in pain and what's happening and I want to be here for you is, like, a bad thing Yeah, that's a good do. thing. And that's kind of what she says when she says helping people. That's what me and my friends do. 
yeah, but then, like, the next episode, he's like, oh, are you still saving me? And she's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> so, I guess, I don't know. Maybe they were, like, thinking, maybe, like, laying groundwork for, like, a possible Cordy gun fling, and they decided yes. that, that was a bad idea. And Hey, I, was there ever a Lila gun thing? Because I feel like I, that would have been great. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, and then we get the final dream between Darwa and Angel when uh, it's something about the way she delivers the line he walks into the, the hotel and then she's standing in the in the office area um, and she's like save any lies today and he's like yeah a couple <laughs> <laughs> and she's like did anyone thank you for it and he's like no but it's okay and she's like they're ungrateful and then turns out she's secretly boning him while he sleeps. Yeah, my last note is rape. Yeah, bringing up a whole weird, uncomfortable consent issues. Yeah, it's it's definitely rape. I think Angel also still wants to have sex with Darla, though. I think both of those things are true in that case. Yeah, definitely. Like, he wants to, but he definitely wouldn't if he were awake. I think he might if he were awake. <laughs> really? I but, don't think so. Well, he does. At <laughs> one point in the season. I mean, <laughs> Maybe not right at this point, but... Also, she's human. So she has a soul. Oh, I forgot about that part. He could fall in love with her for real. For realsies. Um, title is a reference to the Jane Austen novel Pride and Prejudice, which was originally named First Impressions, just as in this episode, the novel's about two very different people who come to revise their first impressions of each other after spending some time together. Hmm. In German, this was called Die Stunde des Divak, the Hour of Divak. Nice. Yeah, WB Network did not broadcast the series in widescreen until the third season. Um, although, Are You Now or Have You Ever Been was widescreen. Yeah, the goofs acknowledges the two ones that I brought up. At the beginning of the episode, the gang meet with Jamil, who's supposed to tell them uh, where to find the demon Divac, but he ends up backing out. We found out at the end of the episode that Jamil is Divac. But just as he knew that Angel was part de- uh, that Doyle was part demon immediately upon meeting him in the pilot episode, Angel should have been able to easily tell that Jamil wasn't human by his scent. I guess his demon something goes with the speed of plot. Mm-hmm. Cordelia sports an outfit identical to the one Buffy Summers wore and the gift and I will remember you. Weird. This is a gun-centric episode. <laughs> What? My favorite piece of trivia. <laughs> I'm on confused. E- <laughs> on every 
thing. And every episode of Buffy and Angel. Alright, you have anything else to say about first impressions? Any last impressions on first impressions? Heh, no. <laughs> um, Alright, I hope you are enjoying the podcast. If so, you can subscribe using your podcast listening application and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes using your computer working application computer. You need to use the computer. I won't let you do it on your mobile yet. Um, and uh, this podcast is the one good thing we ever did together, Marcia. The only good thing. You make sure to tell the world that. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.